This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by Sexual Health Victoria. SHV has been running for over 50 years now. We run a whole lot of education programs for communities and medical professionals across Victoria. We also run sexual health clinics in the city and Box Hill in Melbourne. My name is Anne and I'm part of the SHV schools and community team. We go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction, consent and relationships, delivering the Everybody Education Programme. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. In this episode, I'll be talking to two different families about their experience with assisted reproductive technology. People embark on ART for many reasons. Success is not guaranteed. My interviewees successfully created families with the help of modern medicine. I'm going to ask them about their experience and ask their children how much they know about it. For these interviews, I spoke with the parents privately first and then invited the children to join the conversation. First up is Sue. Sue has two children conceived using IVF. You'll also hear from Sue's daughter, Emily, who is 14 years old. Sue, thank you so much for speaking with me about your family. That's fine. Happy to, happy to help. First question, can you tell me a little bit about your family structure and what led you to IVF? So my partner and I got together in our mid-30s, both of us in our mid-30s, and we wanted to start a family within a couple of years, I suppose, of meeting. And um, we started trying. And I guess um, as I was sort of in my mid to late 30s, I think as I, as I was unable to conceive, I got a little bit more and more worried. And my partner is male and um, he's a, a bit younger than me, but um, yeah, he was also wondering what was going on as well. So you just started that process with a doctor and um, froze eggs and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, look, fortunately, I say fortunately for us, fortunately for us, um, we went to the doctor and got him checked out first because it turned out that he had a low sperm count. And so we almost immediately got into the IVF pathway. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, just before... Um, I started the transplant, I think I had a procedure to clean out my womb, which I think is fairly common to enable clean placement of embryos. And while I was, while the surgeon was doing that, she checked my tubes and it turned out that I had completely blocked fallopian tubes. And I think that for women, it takes a little bit longer. It's not easy, you know, to, to mm. determine why you might not be getting pregnant if the sperm count is okay. So we were one of that 20%, I think it is, where we both had mm. um, issues with conceiving. Right. Um, what was difficult about the process of going through IVF? It was difficult uh, emotionally and psychologically. Yeah, that was the main thing. I mean, the, the physical thing was difficult, but I'm pretty tough. And so I was pretty keen on having kids. So I was able to bear that. 
also, and I know that this isn't a common experience, but also it worked for us first time. But it was more about for us as a couple, and this predated the IVF, but, you know, thinking about what we were doing, you know, bringing children into the world and, and mm. how we could do that in a um, responsible, loving, honourable way. Mm. Mm. Is there anything you wished you knew beforehand? We only went through one cycle. I, I know from years of experience with the health industry, or the, you know, health industry and hospitals, that you often only get information as you're able to process it. And so perhaps um, we didn't get, I don't recall getting information, detailed information about how you might cope with an unsuccessful cycle. Mm. But I imagine that they would cross that bridge if and when you come to it yeah. because I imagine the impact of, or the uh, psychological impact of unsuccessful cycle after unsuccessful cycle would actually be quite hard to bear. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any discussion before you conceived through IVF about how you would explain that story of conception to your children? I can't remember. I can't remember, but I think we both were always planning to be upfront about it. So interestingly, we told the kids that they were IVF quite young, you know, like primary age, early primary age. And I think we've spoken about it in the years, intervening years. But then last night when I was telling the kids about this podcast with you, my son goes, what? Really? Am I IVF? <laughs> so I had to explain it all over again. I thought, oh, we'd, that, that knowledge had settled, but no, clearly not. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You think you've done done it all and then they just don't remember. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what what do you think they understand about it? Like do they do you think well, they can empathize with that process for you now? Not very a bit little. Older? I think yeah. as, a, as a result of last night's conversation, um we explained a little bit about the science of it. I was always worried about the concept of my younger um child thinking that they had been, you know, stored for a little while don't like that but we um talked about the fact that um it's not conceptually is not the word but c when they were conceived they're actually twins so that cheered him up because <laughs> <laughs> they were both um of the same cycle yeah yeah and they're both genetically linked to you and your partner they are they're, yes yeah. but that's also a really worrying aspect of it that you're desperate to ensure that the right egg gets mixed with the right sperm. And mm. that's that was a worry, you know. We had to ask them over and over again, are you 100% sure you've got the right mix going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sperm's very hard to see on its own and identify. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure they had that worked out. Emily, thank you for recording with me. Um, that's okay. So I'm just going to ask, what do you know about the story of how you were conceived? Well, um, I know that I was IVF and I sort of know how that process happens, but I've never really thought much about the fact that I was IVF. Mm -hmm. It's not a daily, this is yeah. on my mind all the time yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> so you learned about IVF when you were in about grade three or four, you remember um, understanding it then? That's when I remember thinking about it. Like I think we were doing a sex ed class or our first one, I think maybe year three or four, um, and I remember learning about IVF and then knowing then that I was IVF. I don't know when I learned that mm -hmm. or my parents told me that. But yeah. 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 Just feel like you've always known. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know the most usual way that babies are made? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when did you learn about the most usual way? Like you've always kind of known about IVF. When did you kind of understand that there was another way that babies are made? I think I learned about the usual way first. Yep. Um, and I think my parents told me that I might have been. They told probably told me in a very child friendly way in probably around prep. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I learned about that way first, and then I learned about IVF. The next interview is with Linda. Linda has two children conceived using IVF and a sperm donor. She carried one pregnancy and her partner the other. You will also hear from Elsie, who is nine years old. Linda, thank you so so much for speaking with me about your family. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Anne. Can you tell me a little bit about your family structure and what led you to assisted reproduction? Sure. So uh, the structure of our family is uh, myself and my wife, Petta, so two mums, uh, and we have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And I suppose what led us to assisted reproduction is that um, we're socially infertile, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> we were going to need help if, or we were going to need something different if we wanted to have children in our um, life. We didn't really consider any other way Mm-hmm. To be honest, yeah, we um, went straight to Melbourne IVF um, for that help. We decided that um, that I would be the first um, out of the two of us to go through treatment uh, because I was older, um, but it took a lot longer than what we expected. So like so many people, we started with um, a certain idea of the steps that we'd need to take um, and trying to interpret the advice and um, that we were being given um, but it didn't turn out, you know, mm. sort of um, the way that we thought. So I uh, ended up being um, on treatment for a number of years. Um, and the first time um, that I became pregnant, um, that pregnancy didn't last. So I guess we it, it did take so long and it was such a process and journey, if you like, that the, the, the thought of um, whether we would have another baby was just sort of very much on hold until mm. we got through all of that mm. <laughs> um, and what that sort of involved. And I guess the toll it took, um, but then also, you know, um, coping with a little baby as well and learning yeah. to be parents before we decided yeah. um, that we would try again. Yep. Mm. And then it transpired that you were able to use the same donor for both children so your children are genetically linked uh yeah they are yeah so um they were conceived with um an anonymous donor uh and originally uh we hadn't really we we didn't uh necessarily want to have the same donor we didn't really care our view was that uh we are enough um for our children so that was sort of, uh, but like, but like so many things, you know, you think that you you think you know it all, <laughs> um, but are always learning, and that was something that we changed our minds about. But uh, we were sort of lucky in a sense that uh, the donor that um, we'd used for me um, wasn't available when Peta started her treatment, but became available. Um, during the time that she was um, in treatment so was offered to us mm-hmm. and it wasn't until that happened that we sort of um, I guess looked at it a bit differently and thought about it in a sort of deeper way and one of the positions we had was we wanted to sort of leave as many decisions as we could up to the children so obviously we were making big decisions on their behalf 
but where possible, if there was something that we could retain for them to make their own minds up about when they were ready, that's what we would go with. We hadn't thought through, I don't think, that from the children's point of view, depending on what their questions might be and what their journey might be, you know, when they got older, concerning their how they came to be, and in particular the donor, Uh, Having the same donor for both children meant that, well, essentially for me the scenario I was thinking of was that if both of them sought to have contact with that donor down the track, they're going to, you know, um, presumably like they'll get the same response from the one person rather than if they had different donors and different responses from two different people. Mm. It, It was just a whole other layer of potentially you know, big stuff that they were going to have to navigate and deal with, whereas having the same donor would avoid that. Mm. So we're actually really happy that it worked out that way, mm. yeah, relationship-wise. What do you... Is there anything that you wished you knew about the process before you started it? I mean, I think we were really well-informed. You know, we were quite a bit older starting a family. I think, um, you know, reflect quite often that we sort of just got in <laughs> in time... <laughs> For the majority of my adult life, I never thought that having children or being a mother was going to be a possibility for me. I sort of um, grew up believing that my sexuality meant that I wasn't going to be able to have a family. Um, and I know that's not the case now. Um, and um, that is absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, I guess my point being that we were we were older, maybe a bit wiser. We, you know, we were pretty well informed. But I think it's just... Um, the unpredictable nature of the sort of outcomes will be along the way with treatment um, for any individual or couple. Like no one can prepare you for that. So you can have as many facts and figures and statistics <laughs> as, you know, mm-hmm. are available. It's but still an individual a, experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I, I think what we really learnt was that it is absolutely an individual experience it's impossible to really understand what it's like for anybody else unless you know you can you can only know your own um, experience have you had any discussion about how you will explain the story of your children's conception to your children is that something you're in agreement with Petter about and have you started that process yeah, absolutely. I mean, we started that process at the same time as even considering having children. I think to date we are on the same page, um, you know. Basically our approach is to to sort of simplify it is just to be really truthful. There's something about answering any questions that arise really truthfully, but of course, you know, that's not enough. We also have to decide on timing for, I guess, maybe introducing or revealing certain you know parts of information and the story in a way that we think is appropriate to their age and stage and you know what they're going through I I think at the moment well probably always our view has been I don't know it's just that it's not it's not a big deal or not to make a big deal out of it I'm just really aware that you know a lot of the sort of judgments that we make about the this this issue we can't make on behalf of the children Even when I hear myself say it's not a big deal, it may be a a massive deal for Mm. them. So, Mm. uh, but we just have to wait and see and um, cross those bridges when we come to them and just, yeah, be as loving, open, 
um, and honest as we can be. Of course, we've already had many, many conversations about how our family came to be and we haven't, the the children um, haven't really, as far as we know, (laughs) been exposed to a level of detail about um, how that works. Of course, they understand that, you know, families have different um, combinations of people. Um, we've talked a lot about the fact that we needed, Peter and I needed doctors to help us and that other couples don't. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how hard we tried and all of the, uh, the, the things that we did to bring them into the world because they because we wanted them so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, they know all of that and they talk about that. So with the um, treatment that I had, I conceived our child on my very last cycle of treatment. So I had decided that that was going to be the last one. It was already at least a year over the deadline I'd previously set myself. Mm. Um, And, um, you know, it really still does feel like quite a miracle. Um, It was transfer number 13. Um, And so... Our child knows all about that story and we tell that story um, a lot around how special um, they are because um, it had taken so many tries and Mm. that was my absolute last try Mm. and um, here they are. Do they know the most usual way that a baby starts? No, I don't think so. I mean, unless I'm really, really naive <laughs> and they, they're talking about it every day with yeah. their friends, I don't know. Um, I mean, they know a few swear words <laughs> and they sort of know um, that certain swear words are rude and, you know, all of that. But I really don't, I really don't think that have a really clear understanding about, yeah, how babies are made. <laughs> They've got sort of ideas and concepts and principles, if principles, you like, but not yep. the nuts and bolts. Um, yeah, just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on the horizon. Let me tell you. There. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> oh, you spoke about letting them make their own decisions. Mm. So that autonomy mm. of going through that journey of finding out or not finding out mm. about their donor. Do you have a timeline? Like, do you have a age? No, not not so much an age. It's more, it would be less around an age and more about, um, I guess, uh, other things, other ways that we would assess readiness. And part of it is just is around the questioning and the types of questioning, Mm. you know, that we're getting. So that that, that's changing all the time. Yeah. And has even as recently as this week, you know, we've had um, a first conversation about um, the donor and what that means. So um, we've always felt that it's more around um, just that ongoing assessment and judgment about, I guess, what they're ready for, but also what they're seeking. Mm. Um, Mm. And when when I said earlier about it not being a big deal, I think part of what I meant was I would never want to set up a big reveal moment. Like I I just instinctively feel like that's something that is pretty risky. I'm hoping and I, and I feel more like it'll be a, a longer process of evolving conversations that are built into everyday life. Mm. Um, and yeah, sure, some of those might be more um, deliberate and might need to be more in-depth, but a lot of them are probably going to be all the other things we chat about daily. Elsie, I've just got one question for you. What do you know about how you were made when you were born? Well... I know how, um, well, I know how babies are made. 
mm-hmm. and I know that it took you 13 tries. I guess I know a bit. I know, but, and I know where I, yeah, I do. Linda tried 13 times, well, no, 12, and then on the 13th, I, um, I was born. Yeah, and then you grew inside Linda? Yeah. Yeah, lucky 13. My favourite number's 13. <laughs> Just as well. Do you know how the doctors helped? No, not um, completely. Yep, yep. But you feel like when, you, when you're ready, you could ask that information from Linda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Do you know how other babies are made? No, no. I'm no. not sure. No. I don't know. That's all right. That's all right. Not a test. That was perfect. Perfect answer. Thank you. Thank you so much to Sue, Emily, Linda and Elsie and their families for letting their story be recorded and shared. Key things which stood out in this discussion for me are For both families, the fact that they were making this recording triggered conversations about conception. It doesn't come up every day, so it was great to have created that opportunity. Emily mentioned sex ed classes as a time where she could consolidate what she knew about reproduction, and she remembers it. School-based RSE is a great place to clarify understanding. Linda talked about everyday conversations and creating opportunities for discussion about the big things like reproduction. Often when I explain IVF in class, students draw the conclusion that donating genetic material means that that person is a parent. I always explain that the parents are the ones doing the parenting. This podcast has been produced with the support of the Victorian Assisted Reproductive Treatment Authority, or VARTA. For more information on them, including resources about fertility, donors, surrogacy, and assisted reproduction, you can visit their website. I'll link to that in the show notes. Also, see the Sexual Health Victoria website for free classroom resources with teaching activities for grades 3 to 10 about assisted reproduction technology, also a self-paced online learning module to support that resource. These were all produced in partnership between Sexual Health Victoria and VARTA. For more information about Sexual Health Victoria, go to shvic.org.au. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Contact me directly at doingit at shvic.org.au. If you like the podcast, please like it, subscribe so you don't miss out. Thank you so much for listening.